right, I'm going to start out this morning. First of all, great to be back up here. Yeah, I had a few weeks uh, off to kind of work on some stuff that's coming up over the, the next few months, but glad to be back up here with you today. I'm going to start out today with a story. Uh, it's from Max Mercado. Ran across it a number of years ago, but I love just the imagery of it, and, and I'm just going to share it with you and kind of put yourself uh, into this scene with me. I mean, imagine yourself in uh, an art gallery of all places with me. It goes like this. It says this. It's a lazy Saturday afternoon. Whatever you needed to get done today, let's imagine that you've already done it. Your afternoon lies before you with no obligations. Free afternoons don't come around as often as they once did. And so you want to take advantage of this. And so you pick up your phone or your tablet or your paper or whatever it is. And you start flipping through and looking for what do I want to do today? What could I do today? And so you thought, well, I could go, should we go see a movie. And you're like, nah, nothing good showing anyway. Television, Netflix, been there, done that, that, you know. 100 channels, nothing on, you know, and so, and so you, suddenly you're reading and you, you, you come across this ad and something catches your eye, and this is the headline, special art exhibit, bruised reeds and smoldering wicks, two to four, Saturday afternoon, Lincoln Library. And you think, well, I haven't seen good art for, I don't know, a long time, and you think, maybe that'll be good, and so you think bruised reeds and smoldering wicks, maybe it must be some sort of a nature theme. Besides, the walk would be nice, and so you get out of your house, you put on a coat, put on some gloves, and you take a walk down to the local library. When you open the door, you're, you're greeted by the musty odor of books as you walk through the library doors. Behind the counter, as you would imagine, sits a librarian with her hair in a bun and a pencil stuck back behind her ear. A student with a backpack at his feet stares blindly into a blank computer screen. A table featuring old magazines is sitting over in a corner. One interests you with the president's picture on the cover, and you think, oh, that's not to be good. But just about the time you pick it up and, and start flipping through, you remember the art gallery. That's why I came, the art, art uh, yeah, the art gallery. And so you think, well, okay, I'll, I'll keep going, maybe later. And so you walk back uh, to kind of a, a separate section in the library where you open up two wooden doors and you step in. And this room's different. It's an intimate room, no larger than maybe the size of a nice den. Bookshelves, of course, cover the walls, and books line the shelves. But a fire crackles in a fireplace, and a couple of high wingback chairs sort of invite you to spend the afternoon with a great book. Maybe later, you think, first, the art. Placed around the room are the paintings, all framed, all in vivid color, all set on easels and in pairs, back to back. You put your gloves in your coat pocket and hang your coat up on a hook, and you move towards the first set of paintings. The first one, it's a portrait of a leopard, the center figure on the canvas. He stoops over like a hunchback. His fingerless hand, draped in rags, extends towards you, almost pleading. A tattered wrap hides all of his face except for two pain-filled eyes. The crowd around the leper is chaotic. A father is grabbing a curious child. A woman trips over her own feet trying to get away from them. A man glares over his shoulder as he runs away from the leprous man. This painting is entitled with the leper's plea, If you will, you can. It's odd. He walks around to the other side and sees a picture of the same leper. But this scene has changed dramatically. This title has only two words, I will. And in this sketch, the leper is standing upright and tall. He is looking at his own outstretched hand with fingers on it. 
The veil is gone from his face and he seems to be smiling. There's no crowd around anymore. Only the one, only one, the only other person standing beside the leper. You can't see his face, but he has his hand on the shoulder of this healed man. This is no nature exhibit, you think to yourself. And you head towards the next one. In this one, the artist's brush has captured a woman in midair, jumping, leaping from one side of a canyon to the other. Her clothes are ragged, her body is frail, her skin is pale, she looks anemic to you. Her eyes are desperate as she reaches for the other canyon wall with both hands, and on the ledge is a man, and all you can see are his legs, his sandals, and the hem of his robe. The caption is, uh, the, the, uh, the woman's words, which says, if only. You step quickly around to the other side and see she's standing now. The ground beneath her bare feet is solid. Her face suddenly flushes with life. Her cautious eyes look up at the half moon of people that surround her. Standing beside her is the one that she sought to touch. And the caption of this one is, take heart. The next portrait is just surreal. A man's contorted face dominates the canvas, orange hair twisted against a purple background. The face stretches downward and swells like a pear at the bottom. The eyes uh, are perpendicular slits in which a thousand tiny pupils seem to, to peek out. The mouth is frozen open in a scream. You notice something odd. This painting seems to be inhabited. Hundreds of spiderish creatures claw all over each other. The desperate voices are captured by the caption, swear to God that you won't torture us. Fascinated, you step around to the other side of the painting to see the same man, but now this time his face entirely composed. His eyes are no longer wild, but are round and soft. His mouth is closed, and the caption ex explains the sudden peace. Released, it says. The man is leaning forward as if listening intently. His hand strokes his chin, thinking, and dangling from his wrist are shackles in a broken chain. In another portrait, a scantily clothed female cowers before an angry mob of men who threaten her with stones. In the next painting, the stones lie harmlessly on the ground, littering the courtyard, occupied a, a surprised woman and a smiling man who stands over some pictures that he's drawn in the dirt. In another painting, a, a paralyzed man on a pallet urges his friends not to give up as they stare at a house that is just overflowing and crowded with people. In the next, the pallet is on the boy's shoulder as he skips home with glee. In one picture, a blind man screams out to a teacher. In the next, he bows before the one who he screamed. Throughout the gallery, the sequence seems to repeat itself again and again and again. There's always two paintings. One is a person in trauma and the other a person in peace before and after testimonials to a life-changing encounter. Scene after scene of serenity eclipsing sorrow and purpose defeating pain and hope outshining hurt. Each picture is telling a story of an encounter with the living God, an encounter with Jesus. I mean, some of us are familiar with these kind of stories, right? These, these stories come straight out of the pages of God's book. Pictures about the healing power of Jesus. Story about a Savior who still sets people free. Pictures of a God who answers prayer, who is powerful and active and living and at work in his people and in this world. Pictures of hope and power and love. Pictures of a living God, not a dead God, but a living God actively involved in the lives of his followers. The Bible is full of pictures like this. 
The Bible is filled with stories of a powerful and merciful and loving and yet active Jesus working in us and through us in the world in which we live. My question for you this morning and kind of where I'm going today is does he still, do we believe that he still answers prayer like that? Do we believe that he is, still has the power to heal or to set free or to answer big, almost impossible-sized prayers and, and big and impossible-sized problems even in our lives? Is he still able to work today? Or do we believe that's just some hocus-pocus, some stories that were told long ago, exaggerated over the years? But I have to say, like, if I, if I were to ask you today, hey, how many of us believe in prayer? We all know the Sunday school answer, right? We're like, oh, yeah, I believe in prayer. Like, I believe in the power of prayer. But, but the question that I find myself asking this week is, do you, do you believe enough to actually pray? Do I believe enough to actually pray and not just say the words, oh, yes, I believe in prayer. But do we believe that he is living, that he is active, that he delights in answering the prayers of his people? Do, do we believe it enough that it impacts the way in which we live. If not, you don't really believe it, and neither do I. You see what I'm saying? Look, look, let me just ask this question, and here's what we're going to do a little talking to church today, okay? So, got to be ready. So this isn't like a passive kind of thing. So here's my question to you. If you and I really believe that the all-powerful God delights to, to hear and answer the prayers of his kids. If we really believe that, how would you pray differently? Question make sense? If we really believe that he's both strong enough to answer anything going on in our lives and he is ready and willing and able to answer your prayers, how would you pray differently? Turn to a person or two or three around you and share what, how you think you'd pray differently if we really believe that. Go ahead. It's okay to talk to church. of a persistent widow who keeps going to a judge again and again and again and again to try and get justice for a major injustice that's happening in her life, right? And so she keeps going again and again and again. And finally, the judge says, okay, I'll give you what you asked for. And Jesus kind of does this in conclusion. This is what he says. These are his, his words. He says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen who cry out to him day and night. When, when it says cry out to him day and night, what do you think that's talking about? 
praying, right? Who, who doesn't? Surely God will answer, he's saying, his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, he will see that they get justice and quickly. And then he ends with this, this but when the Son of Man comes, when he returns, will he find faith on earth? The question that he asked. That's will he find faith on earth? And, and the question, of course, that that they're hunting sort of words because he's saying, man, he's telling a story about praying again and again and again and being faithful to keep pursuing, to keep asking, to keep knocking, right? To keep to keep pursuing him and to pray and pray and pray. And he, then he asked her that question. He's like, but when the Son of Man, when I, when I come back, will I find you still praying like that, still faithfully, consistently? Praying big, faith-filled prayers. And of course, the reason that's challenging is because we have to stop and ask ourselves the same question. If Jesus were to give you a little report card right now, what would, what would he say about you? Would he, would he find faith in you that you, are, that you believe that he is able to answer enough that you are praying and seeking and knocking and asking? We spent the last six weeks uh, talking about the Lord's Prayer, which is a, a pretty stinking cool passage of Scripture. Right? It's, uh, it, it's where Jesus actually teaches his followers. His followers come to him and they say, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? And uh, we want to have the same kind of access to God that you have. We want to see God answer our prayers the way God seems to answer your prayers. We want to see God show up in significant ways like he does for you. We, we want to experience that when we pray. And so Jesus says, okay. I'll, I'll teach you to pray. He says, when you pray, pray like this. He's not saying, this isn't meant to be like a rope, just mouth the words. He says, no, these are, this is kind of a template for how you're to pray. This is what we've been looking at the last few weeks, right? It says this, uh, Matthew 6, 9 through 13. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, right? We talked about that week one. It's a relationship. Our Father, he says, I want you to come to God like he's your dad. Like a loving and good father, come to him like that. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your name is holy. You are powerful. You are God. You're, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth in my life and in our world, in our spheres. May your will be done as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. God, would you provide for our, would you provide for our needs? Meet our needs today. Forgive us our debts or our sins as we also have forgiven those who have sinned against us are debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We've talked about that a line at a time. We've kind of picked it apart and, and, and that kind of stuff. And there's been great stuff in all of it. But I want to go back to the very beginning and kind of, kind of put it all back together a little bit. And just say, but the point of all of this is not for us to go away and say, wow, I learned some interesting things about the Lord's Prayer. Right? If we do that... We've completely missed it as a church because the point of this is not just to have some interesting tidbits that we can pull out about prayer and say, oh, did you know this or did you know this or this word in the Greek? Because actually, who cares? The point of all of it to some degree that Jesus is saying is, would you pray? Right? Would you pray? I, we don't, as a church, we're, we're really hoping and praying that, that this would be a, a season for us where we would become a people of Yes, do we want to get better at it? Yes, do we have tons to learn from Jesus about it? Absolutely, but don't stop there. We want to actually kick this into a new gear in our own lives 
who we pray. Well, Jesus goes on after, after he teaches the Lord's Prayer and talks about, he has a couple of different teaching points that he hits. And then he comes back at the, uh, towards the end of chapter 7, he comes back to prayer again and sort of summarizes. This is his capstone on prayer. That's what I want us to look at today. Uh, Matthew 7, starting with verse 7 through 11. Jesus comes back to prayer. This is what he says. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I think that's fascinating. Jesus comes back with a pretty simple prescription. He's saying, okay, in case you miss this in the Lord's Prayer, he comes back and says, this is, that's kind of a model, a template for how you're to pray. But then he, he, he goes, before we move on completely from this topic of prayer, I want you to get this. He says, I want you to ask, and I want you to seek, and I want you to knock. And I, we're just going to look at those three words, basically, today. Those three, those three ideas will be so wrap up. But the first one, he just says, ask, and it will be given to you. I have to say, this is such a, again, a simple, but such a gutsy sort of request. He doesn't, he doesn't like, uh, I can't think of the word, but he doesn't explain it away. He doesn't give all these conditions. Here's 25 things, and if you do all these, then God will answer your prayer. He doesn't say, well, God doesn't always answer your prayer the way you want. He doesn't give all the conditions. He says, ask, and he'll answer, period. That's what he says. Ask, and it will be given to you. It's jaw-dropping if you think about it. He's saying, pray to ask the all-powerful God, the God that spoke everything into existence, the God who created you, the one who healed you, the one that will be standing at the end. You can approach him and ask, and he will give you what you ask in prayer. Ask, and it will be given to you. Again, jaw-dropping. And he goes on, he goes, you, you understand how this works. Those of you that are dads, that are good dads or good moms, he goes, you understand this, right? If your kid comes to you and they are wanting food, are you going to give them a rock? Are you going to give them a poisonous snake? What's the implied answer? No. Heck no. And he says, if, if you, though you are sinful human beings, which we are, right? That, that's sort of our who, who we are. We've chosen to walk away from God. We've chosen to go our own way. We're selfish human beings. He says, if you then know you are evil, know, can, uh, can give good gifts to your kids, how much more? You're the perfect father, the perfect and holy and sinless God who created you, who loves you. How much more would he delight in giving good gifts to his kids? Do you understand how that works? So ask, he says. Ask, and it'll be given to you. You have a father that loves to answer your prayers. So ask, he says. James, I, I find it fascinating. James is the brother of Jesus, wrote a book in the New Testament, uh, which I just saw my parenthetical comment of like, man, think of that. The, he's the biological, I suppose, half-brother of Jesus, and yet became absolutely convinced that his brother was God. What would you have to do to convince your brother that you were God? <laughs> I'm like, that's, I think that's some of the best uh, eyewitness testimony ever. I mean, like, if you can convince your brother that you rose from the dead and are God and stuff, like, it must be legit. Anyway, um, so James, the brother of Jesus, uh, makes this guy, this is how he kind of puts it. Again, it's, this, it's like, he's like, 
paraphrasing what he's heard from Jesus, right? I mean, he does this all the time. But James puts it to it. He says, you don't understand. You don't have because you don't ask God. Like, it's that simple. He's like, so often in our lives, this is true, right? We get anxious. We get worked up. We try to fix everything. We try to do it all ourselves. And, and God's sitting there going, hello. Jesus is like, didn't you hear what I said? I said, ask. Would you pray? And by the way, all of these are kind of present continuous sort of statements. It's like pray and keep on praying. Ask and keep on asking. Would you ask? And God will answer. Now, even from the comments, and I'll go ahead and give my little spiel, right? Is God gonna is a good God and a good father going to give you a bad gift? Hello? Right? You see, you see, I mean, and so sometimes, and we do this as parents all the time too, right? So sometimes if our kids are asking for bad gifts, like the stuff that, like, man, would you feed my greed? Like, could you bring this? Is he going to answer? No, I mean, he's God. He's going to give good gifts, you know, from and his perspective of good gifts and ours are sometimes at odds with each other. So, of course, there's some of that. We say, ask, and it'll be given. Ask, and it'll be given. Oh, man. I'll just pause for just a second and say, man, some of us here today have some significant issues going on in our lives. Some big, hairy, stinking messes in our lives. If things are not working out the way we had hoped, and we've tried to work it out on our own, and we have fallen flat on our faces, and I wonder if this morning God isn't speaking to you and saying, would you ask? Bring the stuff that's on your heart, the stuff that's stressing you out of your minds, right? The stuff that's not going well in your life. Would you bring it to me and drop it at my feet? Would you ask? Would you pray and keep on praying? Could be health stuff that's going on. And it is bigger than you and you're discouraged and feel defeated. And would you bring those worries and those cares to the healer today? And would you pray and keep on praying? Right? Maybe there's some financial stress that you're in and you're like, man, I don't, we got nothing. I got nothing, right? I got no money and the bills are piling up and the income seems to be getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Like how in the world would you pray to the provider would you ask him to intervene and keep on asking? Maybe your marriage is in shambles, right? And you are way overdrawn on your marriage and it is not going well. Or maybe there's another relationship that's going. And it stuff is so broken that you're like, I don't think there's any stinking way it could ever be put together. It's Humpty Dumpty, right? There's no way you could ever put the pieces back together. Would you bring those pieces before God and Pray and ask to the God who brings resurrection and new life in all kinds of areas of your life. Right? Would you pray? A couple of quotes. I'm a quote king, so I'll give you a couple of these. These are inspiring to me, just good reminders. Craig Rochelle, go to that next one if you would. says, our prayers invoke the living power of God. Right? That's not like a little weakling Jesus or a little weakling. This is the resurrected king, the creator. Our prayers invoke the living power of God. And we're not praying to a distant, uninvolved heart to please God. We're praying to a loving and caring and personal God who calls us a friend. He's both loving 
and powerful. He has your best interest in mind, and he's got the power to deliver. He says, ask. This is what I think is fantastic. It says, the impossible is just an opinion in God's economy. Isn't that a great quote? So would you pray to him? Would you go to him? Ask, Jesus says, and it will be given to you. Again, friends, don't leave from this place today just with mere information about prayer. Don't leave saying, oh, I'm a good method, Pastor. Like, to be honest, I mean, I appreciate encouragement, but to be honest, do you want to know what encouraged me? It would be if we would pray. Like, if we would leave from here today and say, you know what, for the next uh, six weeks, eight weeks, ten weeks, I'm going to kind of up my prayer game a little bit and try it. I'm going to give an extra five minutes or ten minutes or 15 minutes in the morning or the evening or whatever and start hitting my knees and learning to pray. Then what ends up happening is we get hooked. We start seeing answers to prayer, right? We start seeing God show up. We start drawing closer to him. And all of a sudden we're like, I want some more of that. <laughs> what else you got? Kind of stuff. Would you pray? Oh, gosh. I got another story. Oh, I'm going to share it anyway. Um, it's, a, it's a good one. Uh, it's, there's a story. It's written in a book by Doug Cope, but he talks about a friend of his, Bob is his name, uh, ends up coming Christ. Uh, he's just an insurance agent, a regular guy, and uh, Doug is a, a pastor, a minister, leads a, a ministry in Washington, D.C., and, and Bob doesn't really know anything, does not come from a church background. So uh, Doug starts discipling him, starts teaching him about how to walk with Jesus. And one of the things they hit is prayer. And they talk about in this verse that we're looking at today, ask and it'll be given, right? I mean, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be opened. And so he's challenging him saying, I want you to, I want to do a prayer experiment with you. And he said, okay, he's like, I want you to pick something, uh, something that really is on your heart. And he said, Bob ends up responding, he said, I have no idea why, but there's this small country in Africa that I've always been fascinated with. I like to pray that God kind of busts in there. He said, okay. Doug says, here's the deal. I want you to make a commitment to pray for that country every day for the next month. And then I just want you to open your eyes and watch. And he says, if God comes through and, and busts in and does something miraculous with you in this country, whatever that may be, in the next month, um, I'll give you $500. If he does, or yeah, you give me $500. If he doesn't, I'll give you $500. If there's nothing, you pray. You're like, this is just a big waste of time. So I'll give you $500 for your, for your time. And the guy's like, good deal, right? I mean, I can, I can use $500. He's like, that'd be great. And so he agrees to this kind of thing. He starts praying every day for this small country in Africa. And day after day after day after day after day after day after day, nothing. He gets almost to the end of the month, like the last week. And uh, he ends up going to this dinner. And they're going around, it's one of these fundraiser kind of things. You go around this round table, sort of, and people are introducing themselves, saying what they do uh, for a living. And he gets to this one woman, and uh, this, she says that she worked at a medical facility, kind of hospital orphanage, in the country in Africa that Bob had been praying for. And so he, of course, immediately is interested, starts asking questions, like, what do you do? What's it like? And blah, 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 starts doing all this kind of stuff. She said, why are you so interested? And so he explains, he's like, I've got the most bizarre kind of prayer deal going, you can imagine. And so he's like, but I've been praying for this. And she goes, that's, that's cool. She said, would you be interested in coming and visiting our, our hospital orphanage kind of thing and seeing what we do there? He said, yes. And so uh, he flew actually to that country in Africa, ended up um, uh, getting tours and seeing this whole hospital. As, as you can imagine, in the developing world, uh, they, there's a massive shortage of supplies, especially of medicines. And so after the tour, he ends up flying back to the States. Well, he's kind of a man on a mission. And so he starts writing pharmaceutical companies every day, every day afterward. He's writing uh, these pharmaceutical companies, seeing if they would donate um, 
medicines, life-saving medicines uh, to this country, ends up getting a million dollars worth of medicines uh, donated to this country. And uh, actually to this little hospital organization, and which is a jaw-dropping amount uh, in, in, in that part of the world you can't just fully imagine. And so they get this, I mean, of course, the, the hospital, the orphanage, they are overjoyed. And so they invite him over. They're going to have this huge celebration, and all kinds of people are going to come. And so they fly him over to join them for the celebration. And uh, at this celebration, he ends up meeting the president of the country. Okay? President, I'm not kidding, president of the country. And uh, they end up uh, connecting. He hears what he's done. He's so thankful. He said, well, would you be interested in coming with me? Uh, and getting a, a tour of the Capitol. And Bob's like, well, heck yeah. I'd be like, that'd be awesome. And so as they're, as they're on their way driving there, they drive by a big prison. And, uh, and, and Bob says to the president, he says, well, what's that prison for? And he says, oh, it's, it's the prison in which we hold political, cap uh, political prisoners. And Bob said to him, you know, that doesn't seem like a good idea. Maybe you should let him go. And then they kind of went off the conversation and, and, and went on and that kind of stuff. Well, he flies uh, back home after he gets the tour and they go all around. He ends up flying back. A couple days later, he gets a call at 2 a.m. from the U.S. State Department and said, were you recently in this country in, in Africa? And he's like, yes. He's like, did you meet the president? He said, yes. He's like, did you talk about political prisoners? And he said, yes. Why? And he said, well, we've been trying for years diplomatically to get these prisoners released, and we got word this morning that all of them have been set free. What did you say to him? He said, I don't know. I just said it wasn't a very good idea. <laughs> I mean, true story, by the way, but I have to say, this is it's funny to see how many layers that. This is what happens when God's people pray. He busts in. He works sometimes, I mean, in ways we couldn't even imagine, right? Ephesians tells us that we pray to a God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. So Jesus says, would you ask? Would you pray and keep on praying? And I would say for all of us, we can, there's probably a challenge here for us. I like to say, yes. We need to bump that up a notch in our lives and learn to pray and keep on praying. Well, I am like way over. I'll get uh, do the John 16 is, is kind of a, another place, but it's the same kind of language. I love I love how he finishes it. Ask and you'll receive, Jesus says, and your joy will be complete. Isn't that great? Ask and you'll receive, and your joy will be full. Okay, so ask. Second, second thing. Seek, right? Seek and you will find. This takes us back to what we talked about week one with the Lord's Prayer, where we teach pray, our Father, right? Relationship. It's, it, prayer is not meant to be something, it's not the genie in the bottle kind of thing of like, give me three wishes, right? Give me what I want, give me what I want. At some point, we have to realize, you know, uh, you know getting gifts is great, but at some point, we have to re realize that actually the best gift is the gift giver, Right? Is, is God himself, and he invites us and wants us to come to get to know him. He says, those who seek me will find me if they seek and they search with all their heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Think about that. The living God wants you to know him. He wants you to know his love and his presence, his good plans for you. He wants you to know his work in your life. And so he says, and you'll find me. 
James, again, has a great uh, kind of paraphrase, right, of Jesus' own words. He says, come near to God, and God will come near to you. Here's the deal. Not only are we given permission and an invitation and, you know, to, to ask and to, to uh, keep asking God uh, to answer prayer, but we're given permission and calling to draw close to God, to approach his throne of grace with confidence, to crawl up on his lap and call him daddy, to come to know him, to love him, to follow him, to do life with him. It's not just a transactional sort of prayer thing. Give me what I want. It's no, God, I want to know you. I want to see you. I want to hear you. I want to follow you. I am yours. It's how we're meant to live. Christianity is different from every other religion in the world for lots of reasons, but primarily because it's relational, because it's about Jesus. It's about him knowing, or us knowing him and following in his need and having him live inside of us through his spirit and on and on. He says, seek and you'll find. Tozer, one of my favorite authors, puts it this way. He's talking about people who seek after God wholeheartedly like this. He says this. He says these people, they want to taste. They want to touch with their hearts. They want to see with the inner eyes the wonder that is God. He says, I want to deliberately encourage this mighty longing after God. The lack of it has brought us to our present low estate. He says, the stiff and wooden quality of about our religious lives is the result of our lack of desire for God. Complacency is a deadly foe against all spiritual growth. Listen to this. Acute desire must be present or there will be no manifestation of Christ to his people. There will be no visible presence of Christ to his people. He waits to be wanted. Too bad that with so many of us, he waits so long, so very long in vain. Do you understand what he's saying there? He's saying, God invites us to come close. Jesus says, seek me and you'll find me. God says, come, right, come close. I'm going to call you son and daughter. Come up to the throne. I want, to, I want you to know me. I want to, I want to share my love with you. I want to share my life with you. And, she, and, and those are saying, man, he waits to be wanted. He waits to be sought out to some degree. And when we don't seek him, we don't fight him. Let me paraphrase it this way and say that. We're about as close to God as we choose to be. God has made his presence fully available to you and I because of Jesus. We can step up and know him. We can live with him. We can follow him. We can get amazing glimpses of him. We can hear from him. We can be filled with him. We can be sent out in his power, right? And on and on and on. But he says, seek me and you'll find me. Meet with me. And I will be found by you. We can't miss that. Let's not settle for simply asking and doing this transactional thing. Though, of course, we're called to ask. We should ask. But when we're done with the stuff that's weighing heavy on our hearts and on our lives, would you just turn your face Godward? Would you turn your soul Godward? Would you seek after him? Would you, would you open up his book? Tozer, the, the one that I just quoted from, used to read his Bible on his knees just as a reminder to say, God, I want to know you. I want to see you. I want your word to come to life in me. And so he did it just as a way to keep praying. Right, God, I'm seeking after you. Would you show yourself to me? Maybe you need to open up the word this week and dig in and look for the living God. Seek after him. Maybe you need to hit your knees and spend some time praying. Yes, cry out and ask to God, but then as well, just say, God, I want to know you. 
Would you reveal yourself to me? Would you open up your heart to me? Would you teach me and lead me and guide me? I am yours. Don't miss it. Ask, and it'll be given. Seek, and you'll find the third one is knock, and the door will be open to you. You know, there are times in life when we seem to be in a holding pattern when things just are not going the way we had planned, right? The times when it seems like God is distant or seem like maybe our prayers are bouncing off the ceilings and we're, it doesn't seem like he's answering. Eras when opportunities seem few and far between. And God tells us in those kinds of times to knock and to keep on knocking on the doors of heaven, right? To keep on seeking, to keep on knocking. I was thinking about a time for me, uh, maybe 10, I don't know, 10, 11, well, years ago, I don't know, something like that. Uh, a season for me, things were, were going really well uh, at the church that we started uh, up in Wisconsin. It, it was a good era for us. We were growing at a really good clip. Uh, I think about 28% a year was our, was our average. Lots of people coming to Christ. The church was just kind of kind of coming to life. All kinds of good stuff was happening. We had friends there and all, all, become like family, all that kind of stuff. But in the midst of that, I started feeling like God was saying, I've got more for you. Like more than I'm calling you to do. And so I started, uh, Tina and I started praying and saying, okay, what might that be? Because we're already pretty busy, right, kind of thing. And so so we, we kind of started praying. And, and as we did that, God opened up this opportunity to do, to do kind of a part-time job on the side, to do church planning stuff, greater church planning stuff with Converse, the, the organization that we're a part of. And uh, so I got to be a part of around Wisconsin and Michigan, got to help start new churches, got to coach church planners and train church planners, recruit new church planners, and all that kind of stuff. And it was awesome. And it started going really, really, really well. Like I was kind of coming to life in a lot of ways. In fact, so much so that I became a part of the executive board that kind of oversaw um, 100 churches in Wisconsin and Michigan, and got, got a seat at the table even for our national church planning uh, kind of leadership meetings. And it was fun. It was a crazy busy season of life. And, and and yes, at some point in the middle, Tina said, man, you're kind of having the time of your life, aren't you? And I was so busy. I hadn't stopped to think, but we kind of, I kind of stepped back and said, you know what? I think I was born for this. Like, this is so fun. And so we were, like I said, we were running around like crazy people, but God was doing amazing things in our midst. And it was just fun to be a part of. In fact, it went so well that at some point, uh, th this part-time position became a full-time position. They said, you know what? We think this is great. We think you should apply. We're going to create this full-time position, and we think you should apply because we think you'd be perfect for it. And I'm like, cool. See, like the logical next step, and I'm like, awesome. And so I keep doing my thing, and they go through the search process, and we're kind of the top candidate going in. And uh, uh, things, you know, all, all doors seem to be open heading in that direction, except something wasn't right. And so we kind of started hitting this thing again and again. We're like, something isn't right here. Something isn't right here. And it got down. I, I was trying to ignore it. was trying to shove it under because I'm like, I really think this would be my dream job. I think this would be awesome. All this kind of stuff. Came down to the night before the final interview and God just made it abundantly clear that uh, we had to say no. That we had to kind of pull the plug on the thing. And uh, it doesn't sound like a big deal. Like, part-time job, it's a big deal. But I have to say, it was really a hard thing to do uh, because what happened is I said, we said no. And the door slammed in our face, right? I had, I was done with my part-time job. I had to turn that over and set up the next full-time guy for success, you know, kind of thing. The 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 uh, executive team and being, you know, having influence and opportunities with a hundred different churches that closed the national stuff 
closed, and I was sitting there with the door closed in my face, and I sat there for months. Do you know what I mean? Like, kind of like, what just happened? Like, did I do something wrong, or you know, what's happening? And, and it, it's kind of weird. I mean, part of me felt like I kind of felt depressed and felt empty, and felt like, God, what are you doing? Like, what? It, I, I felt like I stepped into something that I was born for, only to have the whole thing closed in my face. And obviously, God did work uh, in me and on me in that season, and just saying, you know, hey, which one of us is more important here, and all that kind of stuff. But it came down to I kept having to day after day after day keep knocking and keep praying, keep surrendering, even and saying, you know what, God, I'm trusting that you know better than I on this deal. So I will surrender it and, and, and follow you. And yet, I, I kept saying as well, like. I don't know, but what was that? Like, it kind of felt like you're were, you were calling me to something more, and there was some, some opportunity that was there, and now there's nothing. And so we kind of kept knocking, kept praying, kept seeking, and uh, eventually it, that became a call to Peoria, Illinois, to start a new church. And eventually that became, that knocking became a call to start a new church in Sunnyland after downtown. And that knocking is continuing, right, in a new church in Bartonville, and that knocking is continuing to happen as we're praying that God would give us dozens more opportunities around the region, not for us, but for the gospel to go forth, for people to get reached for Jesus, right, for his kingdom to come, and his will be done. Jesus says, when you knock and you keep knocking, the door will be open to you. I don't know. I don't know where... Um, what God might be saying to you these days. Not sure what uh, what he might be speaking to you even in the midst of this message. Maybe to you, God seems distant these days and and you're like, Man, I don't know where, where he is. I don't know what's going on. Maybe you feel like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. Maybe you're feeling like he's far away. And maybe today God is speaking to you and saying, would you seek me? Because when you seek me, You'll find me even in the midst of our crazy, busy lives. Would you carve out some space? Would you push all the other stuff of life back for a little bit? Would you hit your knees? Would you open up his word and would you say, God, I want to know you. I want to follow you. I want to, I want to be wholeheartedly yours. I am in. Would you reveal yourself to me? The Bible says, when you seek him, you'll find him. Maybe there's some ways that you feel like the doors have been slammed in your face. It could be relational doors that have been slammed. It could, maybe it's, who knows, right? Maybe it could be at work. There's been an opportunity. The doors have been slammed in your face. Maybe it's with your kids. Maybe it's with who knows what. Maybe it's uh, something in college or whatever. And, and maybe today God's just saying, don't give up. Knock and keep knocking. Keep knocking because when you knock, the door, I will open the door for you. May not be what we thought it would be. May not look how we how we imagined. But he says, if you knock, I will open up the door and you can come in and meet with me. Maybe there's some big old stuff happening in your world. Like we said before, financially or health stuff or money stuff or relationship stuff or whatever. And maybe God's just saying to you today, would you ask? Would you ask? Philippians tells us, right? Tells us that when we bring our request to God, that His peace, a peace that passes all understanding, will wash over us, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Maybe today you're in need of some peace. And He's saying, Man, 
If you could use a beat, would you be praying? I get one final little uh, story of thing. I just was thinking this imagery today, just thinking, imagining a child who was in need. We had some yesterday that were funny. We had a, a kid that escaped <laughs> the kid's room at one point yesterday and came running in going, Mommy, Mommy, Mommy! Right, kind of thing. And, I, and the picture was kind of uh, etched in my mind as I was practicing this and thinking, uh, if there's a kid that is in need, they will find their mom and their dad and they will ask. And they will ask. And they will ask. It's, it's Christmas time is coming up. Some of your kids want specific toys or want specific things. And my hunch is that they won't just ask once, right? They will ask. And they will ask. And they will ask. There's a need. There's something they need in their life. And they will keep asking until you answer. And, and, if, and if they can't find you... And they have this need, what are they going to do? They're going to seek after you. They are going to find you. They will keep searching and searching. Mommy! Daddy! Where are you? I have need. And as every mother who has toddlers in their home can tell you, if there is a door closed and you're trying to get five minutes alone in the bathroom, what is that kid going to do? They're going to knock, right? They're going to knock. Mom! Let me in! Jesus says... Jesus says, would you be like that child? Would you ask when you are in need, when they're stumbling down, would you ask and keep asking and I'll answer? If you can, if, if I seem far from you, would you seek and you'll find me? Draw near to God and I'll draw near to you. And when it seems like the door is closed in your face, would you knock and I'll open it? Let's close with prayer. Father, that's, that's our prayer. We want to be those people. God, we want to be uh, men and women. We want to be your children, boys and girls, to seek after you like that, to ask, to seek, to not, to inform us and make us the people of prayer, people who are quick to hit our knees, quick to cry out to you, quick to seek your face, quick to knock until we find you. <laughs> until we see you or until you answer. Would you bolster our faith today? Would you call us to prayer? Even as we walk out this week, God, would you, would you help us to create space to, for you, space to, to seek you and to know you, to find you, to talk to you, to be with you. We love you. We need you, God. We lift up all these things.